You're listening to the Tony Stewart Podcast, where Tony interviews financial literacy advocates who are changing the conversation on money, so you can catch up on the latest trends and ideas in the world of financial literacy and education. Welcome to the Get Ready Podcast with Tony Stewart. I'm pleased to be joined today by Faith Chiobi. Faith is a multimedia journalist, advocate, visionary, and CEO of Leverage Retirement. In this episode, we'll be discussing connecting financial literacy to humans. Faith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am delighted, Tony. I love your tag on this podcast about changing the way we think and talk about money. Well, I'm I'm really glad to have you here because I think you really are doing that. So, you know, let's get into it. And so everybody else can find out what you're up to. So, you know, I always start out as, you know, tell us a little bit, what is your origin story? How did you get started in financial wellness? Well, as the saying goes in the 401k world, uh, you didn't choose 401k, 401k chose you. So why <laughs> more interesting than how I got into the 401k space is really why I stay. And that brings me to my true origin story. And it goes back to elementary school. <laughs> there was a time when I wanted to ask my mom for some money so I could buy a snack at school. And I mean, without missing a beat, she said, I will not give you money to buy a snack at school, but I will give you money. You can go to the market, buy something, sell to your friends and eat your profit. And I loved that whole process. I learned so much when she asked for her money back. I also learned a hard lesson about capital and returning to your investors, (laughs) but that whole process really ignited something in me. So now as I'm in the 401k world, it is just ripe with opportunity and I can't help myself, but stay. Well, that's fantastic. You you know, it's funny. I started out in insurance and insurance is sort of the same way. You don't choose going into insurance, you know, just sort of end up. So that's great. And I love the story about, you know, as a kid, because I think, you know, we're going to talk much more about that, but you know, the, the people overlook that, that you have to start the lessons with kids early and the kids can learn the lessons adults oftentimes don't give their kids credit um, that the kids are able to connect these things so that that's an awesome story yeah it is so true I mean we we underestimate what kids can really absorb and it's it is pretty impressive but I think the key is making sure not dumbing down and just the same as we do marketing our finance expertise to our audience, you know, peer to peer, the same goes with kids. You know, we want to speak their language. It's not about, you know, making these disparaging comments that we have to dumb down our finance expertise so that they can absorb it. This is just about speaking their language. Yeah. And I think that's great advice for working with kids. I've had the privilege of working with kids as a coach and some other things. And that's what I've always found is that talk to kids like you talk to people. Kids Mm -hmm. are just people who haven't grown up yet. And if you have that conversation with them, and like you say, is that's applicable to the work we do with financial literacy and financial wellness is, you know, you're just helping people learn something new. So I I think that's a great principle. Um, So one of the things you talk about is positive progress. 
how can we influence positive progress for everyone? Oh, so on my podcast, I that's part of the mission is to influence that positive progress. And what I mean by that is we like to probe different kinds of questions at old issues. Maybe some of them are newer versions of an old issue, but we like to just test it through the fire to see, is it going to hold up? Is this tried and true concept or mode of operation or methodology? Is it really the best way to look at it? And that I'm talking about anything from education to technology. Um, because when we push for those questions, lowering diplomacy and having full candor in these conversations, then we are unfiltered and we're not trying to protect anyone's feelings. We're not even trying to protect our own fears about what this change might mean for us. And so in that, I believe that curiosity is how we influence positive progress. I, I love that. I, I think curiosity is so important is you know, I, I've had a back, uh, background that involved market conduct. And that's something I found is that a lot of times market conduct issues could be resolved if people were a little more curious and they asked more questions. Um, so I, I, and I think he goes back to that old thing. If you don't understand something, you should say something. Um, yes. But people oftentimes, when they're with their financial advisor or insurance agent, you know, they don't feel comfortable saying that they don't know something. So how do you help people address that, you know, to, to say, hey, it's okay to admit you don't know something and to ask and to be curious? Well, while I'd like to encourage everyone to be willing to be vulnerable when it comes to asking about their money issues, because I think everyone needs to be independent. And when I say financially independent, I mean, I want them to have the know-how and be in control. But I think actually maybe the stronger conversation could be towards our fellow finance experts. Because rather than trying to encourage everyone to open up and be vulnerable to us, we have a duty and a responsibility to change the way we push out our expertise onto people. I mean, this goes back to even the way that we just talked about with addressing kids. They're all humans are capable of these big concepts. You know, we we act like we have to dumb down our finance expertise in order for people to absorb concepts because they just don't get it. They just don't won't save money for retirement. They can't see a, something beyond a short term goal. That's actually not true. Really, what's happening is we're forcing them to become experts like us. We're forcing them to have our vocabulary and all the math that sits in our head. And that's totally unfair because this is what we do for a living. So I think what we really need to be doing is going at it from their language as if it is a totally different language. It's not about dumbing down. This is about thinking like they do and finding what resonates with them. And I think that's where we really need to be pushing is for fellow finance experts to be more creative with our language. 100%. And, you know, for me, it always comes back to the medical field. And, you know, in thinking about it is so, you know, if you need surgery on your knee, you know, the surgeon doesn't give you the history of knee surgery and tell you how to, <laughs> to you know, how to evaluate different knee surgeries, you know, they, they, they explain the process to you, and what to expect. But, you know, you, like you said, is you don't have to go out and become a knee expert and learn all the terminology, you know, that's related to your knee. And I right. think that, that we can take that. And 
I want to go also back to what you said about the curiosity in kids is because kids are curious and kids don't have that filter that society teaches us where kids are going to ask those questions when they don't understand something. And so to some degree, you know, it's to think like a kid, um, you know, and to open up, but also when your clients open up, don't shut them down is Mm -hmm. to answer your clients' questions because that's also something advisors do is, you know, they drown their client, the client asks a question. And like you say, it's like giving them the history of the world. And uh, (laughs) that can be a little much for clients. Yes, I totally agree. And I like the idea of asking questions. And even if they, your client has asked a question, there's still an opportunity to take pause and find out where that question is coming from. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I I think that's key is where does the question come from? Sorry, I take notes while I record. Everybody knows that who's seen that. (laughs) Where does your question come from? Um, So, you know, one of the things you also talk about is vision. How can people connect their vision with their audience, who they're talking to? This is all so tied together. I To connect your vision with your audience, you have to really know yourself or know your message, whatever it is you're putting out there really, really deeply, and then understand who you're talking to very deeply. Because then you can find how that translation between what you're wanting to communicate and how they will understand that information will go. And this, a lot of times, I think this gets lost in right now, you know, we've got social media and everybody wants things in bite size. So there's a lot of um, kind of hate going on about, well, people, they just want to be constantly entertained. And so A lot of companies think, oh, does that mean we have to jump on TikTok so that we can speak their language? I don't think so. I I don't think it's that humanity needs to be so intensely entertained in these 20 second shots. Uh, I think that's a little bit rude on our our species. I, I think what we want, though, is to capture and wouldn't we want to capture people's minds and their energy when it's at the highest point of entry? And so this isn't really about entertainment. It's about grabbing them so that they can absorb what you want to teach them in a place where they are ready and wanting to listen. So I think that it has to be that you understand yourself, you understand your message, because it can't just be, oh, I want people to save for retirement. Why? We have to really understand that. And until we do, I don't think we can connect people to what it is because we don't know what our vision is. Uh, that's <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. That, that That's wonderful that I... <laughs> I, I, I love it. And I think, you know, what you're getting to is that we have to understand the core of what our clients are trying to achieve and what their motivations are. And just because, as you point out, somebody enjoys TikTok, that's not necessarily how they want to receive their financial information. And, right. it, it, you, you know, we're sort of missing the point on that, you know, it's you know, and I think you said it so well that that I don't need to repeat it. But you know, it's like, but I'm I'm repeating it. Is that you know, is that the right medium for them? Is that where somebody's going to be able to connect? And we have to be able to understand that. And again, you know, it gets back to asking questions. Is you know, ask your client how do they want to receive the information? What's the best way for them to be able to process it? You know, do they want to read a book? 
about 401ks in your instance? Do they want to watch a video about 401ks? Um, you know, what, what works for them? Um, so I think that's really important. You know, so I, I want to switch up and make sure we have some time to talk about your upcoming children's book because that's super exciting. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your upcoming children's book, The Monster Job Book. Well, it is a children's bedtime story that lays the foundation for financial literacy. And the thing is, we could be pumping the kids with terminology or coin counting, but that that's a lot. And it doesn't really build an intrinsic motivation. So the goal of this would be to build an intrinsic motivation with an understanding of accumulation. And it's really fun and lighthearted. And it, what I want is the foundation so that the kids can build on it and have the capacity to be primed to add on building blocks of financial concepts. But we need that solid foundation first. That way they can start absorbing the concepts that we need them to as they go. So the, the characters discover this. They discover this intrinsic motivation and the power of accumulation as they're working towards their dream of having a puppy. The book starts out with the characters wanting to have a puppy and they're begging their mom for it. That's a familiar story. I'm sure parents can identify with kids wanting something and then begging for it. So <laughs> that, that resonates with me. Um, so I hear you have one reader who the book has been really popular with. How has that reader experienced the book? Yes, what it's do you think been, resonated with the reader. It's been great. Actually, this book started as a presentation with just my kids and uh, it was going so well. So I had them help build this bedtime story. And my I loved it. One of the, the biggest early wins with it was uh, my son. He said he turned to his sisters and I, I overheard this. He said, uh, girls, you can you can relax if you want to, or you can earn points and fold laundry while you watch like me. And I was blown away that he absorbed that from just this simple story. And, um, and then my daughter, she was earning points. Um, everybody gets to earn points and she was making her bed every day. And when we tallied them up at the end of two weeks, she was ahead of of everyone by a landslide and they, everyone thought she cheated. It was hilarious. And I got to show them that she was merely consistent. She was earning very small points, but was very, very consistent. That, that was a pretty exciting tool in a very kid friendly way. I mean, we're talking gold star vibes here. Oh, there's a couple things in there is one is I love the point about earning small points by being consistent, because when we talk about savings, that's what savings is about. It's, you know, it's about saving that small amount of money um, each week, each year. Um, you know, that's the beauty of something like a 401k. But I think the other thing that you said that gets back to connecting with an audience is you talk to your audience and had your audience participate in writing the book. And I think you could see that pay off because the audience that participated in the book, you reflected what they were looking for in a book. And so they followed the advice. And I think that's good for people to understand is that if you ask your clients what they want and they tell you what they want, that you have to give them what they tell you that they want instead of yeah. giving them something different. 
Um, you know, so connecting with your audience pays off. Um, so I want to switch gears to talk with something that's a little more serious because I know that this is something you're very passionate about is speaking out against domestic abuse. Um, what do you feel is the connection between financial literacy and domestic abuse? Well, financial abuse is present with 99% of domestic abuse cases. So financial literacy, what I like to think of it as, it's the first warning signs. It creates a sensitive awareness because a lot of times, and what pe most people don't know is that victims of domestic abuse, they many, many times do not even know that they're being abused, really. Broken bones, bruised faces, or verbal abuse, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, they don't know. And that's the power of the human brain because it's built to help you survive and thrive. So these cases are usually in seemingly very happy couples, um, very well-to-do families, very successful people. Uh, so it, it's um, it's a quiet a quiet thing. Um, but the why I like financial literacy is that it's um, it's not very intrusive. And it's very black and white. So while there are many ways that you can handle your money, there really is a wrong way to handle your money. You can spend more than you make. You can not get answers or not know where your money is going. These are, there, there are things that are black and white about money. And so I see these as um, the first warning signs of something being off. And so I've actually had some success, even, even knowing this as a concept, as I work with um, groups that are especially safe in harm's way that are on the front lines of domestic abuse. Um, I spoke on another podcast and found out months later, um, someone approached me and said, I was listening to you talk about financial literacy, financial independence, and realized during your podcast that I was being abused. And it, there's something about it that helps bring a little bit of awareness. And so that's why I use financial literacy. That is my expertise. So that's why I like to use that as my kind of like gateway into helping these victims. Yeah, that's staggering. I had no idea. I would have suspected that physical abuse was the leading factor rather than financial abuse. But as you explain that, that make, does make a lot of sense is because people you know, I have heard of spouses and, and seen it that spouses control the budget and some of the other things, you know, I've been more involved with elder abuse and seen elder financial abuse. And it, 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 it's some of those same factors as somebody gets hold of the seniors money, they start controlling the money, influencing the decisions. And I know it's a little bit different in a couple, but I think, you know, the gist of what you're saying is that it's being savvy about your money, gives you certain skills and confidence. Do you feel that confidence plays a role in this? Is um, if people are more confident about their money? Yes. Be I mean, because if you know what you're looking for, of course, you're going to be more confident because it's something that you understand. I think that financial literacy is such a critical component for especially raising children. It can help them have an awareness is great does need to be coupled with empathy and self-worth because it's not enough to know the right questions to ask about finances, but you have to believe also that you're worth 
getting the right answers. So there's a quite a dynamic layer there. Yeah, and I think that what you're getting to is that there's more than just the knowledge. There's the thought process. There's the mindset. And I think we often overlook that, that, you know, people, and you pointed this out earlier, is people know that they need to spend less money than they earn. I don't think there's anybody you could talk to would say, oh, gee, that that's that's a good one. I haven't heard that before. I wish I'd known that. <laughs> right. It's like, it, it, it's like I, I liken it to a diet is everybody knows that, you know, maybe you need to watch your weight, but it's like, how do you, how do you get there? Because there's so much more wrapped up in these deci- decisions of why people aren't saving enough money, why they're spending more money than they earned. Um, that's why this is a social justice issue. And this, this is not just some fancy financial literacy flag that needs to be waived. No, this is actually a social justice issue because we're talking about, you know, your success in life is a series of decisions. And so the real equity comes with having that knowledge and the access to resources to make better decisions. Ooh, I like that access to resources. I think that's so important. And I'd like to also underline your point that financial literacy is a social justice issue. And uh, for listeners um, of the show, you've heard us talk about this in the past on the show is that it's about economic justice. And it's, there's so many other issues is that we tend to think that everybody has the same opportunities that we've been given. Um, either in our experiences about money or our capability. And we oftentimes blame people for not being able to do things when, you know, when have they ever in their life had the opportunity to learn something? And I think it goes back to what you're talking about with domestic abuse as well as it. And some of these relationships is one of the spouses may have never had the opportunity to ever learn something about money um, because of how they grew up. Uh, their culture, their religion, their socioeconomic status. And I think that those are the important questions that we need to um, address. Um, You know, just before we wrap up, I did want to ask you one more question because I think this is really important is how do we break the cycle by raising money, stopping kids? How do we break the cycle of financial abuse? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> How do we break the cycle of financial abuse by raising money savvy kids? The, I think the the key is going to be actually not about the numbers part. It's going to be about self-worth that is coupled with the financial knowledge. So I think what's really important, uh, a lot of us as adults, we tend to think of our financial planning as something very separate from our day-to-day life. We we have maybe a grocery budget. Um, maybe we kind of keep tabs on how much we're spending when we go out, we plan our trips, et cetera. Then we're like, now I need to get down. I need to figure out my, do I have enough in savings? Am I putting enough for my 401k? That's a separate process. But what I think is really important is as we raise our kids to be savvy, we need to be teaching them the financial concepts and incorporating things like feelings, because what there is such a thing as emotional spending. Feelings are very important to our financial thought process. So yeah, I think no, really- I, I, yeah I, I'm with you. And I think it is self-worth is because some people, they may feel like intimidated by money. 
Um, they may have seen their parents react in a certain way, argue about money. Um, you know, the, it, it, there's, there's all these feelings that we get tied up um, with our money that, that leads to certain decisions. Like we may have heard somebody say, oh, well, insurance isn't worth it. But if it was somebody we trusted and looked up to and respected, we may say, oh, well, gee, I don't need insurance because they didn't believe in insurance. So, it, you know, it's it's all, you know, all these things come together that it's not just about the numbers, um, you know, and for those of us who've been in financial services, we know we've seen this so many times with clients where they make decisions and you go, yeah, they, they know better. Why are they making that decision? They know the numbers and hard numbers say that they should take this action and there's no debate, but they still go in the other direction. You know, I think in that, in, in those cases, it's the, it's not knowing how to apply the intentionality. So, I mean, if I were to give a number one piece of advice, it would be really know what you really want, because you can ask people, some people may say, I want to be able to travel, but what they really want is autonomy. Some people say, I want to 10 X my company be named in fast company magazine. Okay. So what you really want is legacy and recognition. Some say, I want to make bank on crypto so I can quit the rat race. So what they really want is freedom. And I think we need to make sure that people know what they really want, because we can ask them, what do you want? They probably don't know. We don't know what we want to be when we grow up until, you know, how old? Well, I'm still counting, <laughs> you know? So I think when you know what you really want, you can be, you can intentionally run your money instead of your money running you. Well, I like that. Run your money rather than having your money running you. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on a lot of this stuff. This has uh, been fantastic. Um, so, you know, I think you mentioned that that is your number one tip. Um, is there another number one tip on financial wellness you'd like to share with us? I think it is uh, knowing where your money is going and moving it with intentionality. I like that. Knowing where your money is going and running with intentionality. That's fantastic. Faith, thank you so much uh, for coming today. Um, where can people learn more about you, find out what you're up to? I know you've got a show, I think, on Clubhouse. Um, yes. Where can people tune in and find you? If you go to faithteope.com, teope is T-E-O-P-E.com, um, you can find all my things. Uh, leverage, where I service as a 401k provider. Um, I talk about branding. I have my podcasts and a few other things. So there's even a page called Stock. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And when will your book be coming out? It comes out on National Teach a Kid to Save Day. Oh, fantastic. And what day is that? That is April 22nd. So we've got eight weeks to go. Okay, fantastic. So, you know, for those of you watching or listening, uh, the show may come out after April 22nd. So if it does, uh, there'll be a link to find the book on Amazon and other booksellers. So um, everybody look out for Faith's book. Um, and thank you for tuning in. Faith, thanks for joining me today. Yes, thank you, Tony. This is a blast. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks again, everybody, for um, tuning in to the Get Ready with Tony Stewart podcast. Until next time.